0: Hey, this is episode two of a social distancing podcast my name is sid
1: and i'm arushi rai
0: and today we're joined by our guest ashwarya
1: um
0: do you want to talk about your guest
1: yeah so ashwarya is my high school friend we met in tennis or probably when i was in uh, a freshman in high school um and i was taking this class called stem research and we've been friends ever since which is pretty crazy when you think about it and um eshwarya is a software engineer at uh uber freight is there anything yep. you'd like to say about yourself
2: um yeah no as rishi said we've known each other probably for like four eight, eight years that's a long time and i currently live yeah i currently live in San francisco uh
1: Almost finishing a year as a software development. Software oh my developer god, it's almost a year. Research. It's summer, summer already. It is almost. That's crazy that I, I yeah. feel like you just started at Uber.
0: <laughs> but right now you're doing work from home. At your parents' place in Cupertino, yes. right? Right. So, Indeed. So today's theme is about uh, quarantine, uh, work from home, and how food delivery companies come into that. Uh, what food delivery companies are, are bringing into the table, how we are adapting to the situation. And uh, whether
1: they're actually going to be profitable from this.
0: Right. Uh, how we are innovating, changing the workforce. Uh, Pretty pretty much talking about the business side of the whole thing also. Um, The reason why we got you as a guest specifically was because you work at Uber, which also has Uber Eats, and we really want to know your opinion just because we know that Uber is also gathering some of our employees to work a bit on Uber Eats, and we want to know your opinion on things, but we also want to know your perspective on um, what you can say, what you can't say. We just want to know what you can say, and we just want to know whether what we think is Going on is match with the reality of what's going on behind the scenes, really.
1: To the best of your knowledge, because <laughs> you do work for sure. Uber Freight, which sure. is a different division. It's almost like a different startup, right?
2: Yes, it is. It is quite removed, but
0: uh, but before we get started. We, we hear the- before we get started, just wanna know how your work from home is going.
2: Oh, um, it has been really smooth. Um, everything I, I wanna say that all the media like as far as communication and projects go, we had a lot of alignment starting before work from home began. So it was very smooth to just continue executing on everything. The deadlines were not really changed. No one has really seen that much of a overall big picture workflow change. Um, There were a few additional projects that were added for COVID support. Mm -hmm. So there's some more tighter deadlines. But other than that, people come keep the same hours. We have a few more extra stand-ups, which I feel like has been beneficial just to spend some time talking with others on what you're working on. But other than that, everyone has been really helpful. We debug over Zoom where pretty much you're it's very similar to being with other people the one thing that you kind of don't have is just listening to other people's general chit chat and conversations which actually i'm surprised did add a lot i think hmm. um even though i know now exactly what someone is working on by their like few minute updates like just hearing their like them complain about something you pick up things about different issues that you know it's kind of kind of miss it
0: that's very true but I don't miss the commute to work but I do miss like the random banter in the office and just just the random things or food being downstairs fr- randomly sometimes and you just get free pizza or or your, em- or your co-workers are just trashing on each other it's just the little things that add to the experience That you won't ever get from work from home But it is what it is right now It's not. Yeah, work is...
1: from home really strips out Like the social experience of it And really makes it You're just there to like be an employee to the company
0: Right Um. Have you been ordering a lot of uh, food?
2: I haven't But I know that a lot of my So Uber, uh, as an Uber employee You get about 200 credits a month um, nice. To spend on your discretion On any Uber products so there's it's actually interesting. Uber has been trying to volunteer, um, have have employees volunteer to donate their credits to COVID relief funds and so forth. But there's also been a responding kind of counterclaim by a lot of people that it's better for them to use their credits to support the local restaurants and uh, kind of fuel, keep them, keep them, you know, afloat because it's pretty challenging right now for a lot of restaurants to still match demand. And also early on, actually, interestingly enough, uh, what Uber did was they signed up a lot of Uber employees outside of Uber Eats to help uh, get new restaurants on board. Um, so there's actually a whole process that I wasn't aware of at all initially, but that a restaurant has to go go onto the Uber site, create their menu, uh, all sorts of other pricing information and fix up some sort of some sort of a contract or deal. And there was a huge uh, flood of new, small, medium-sized businesses, restaurants that weren't on Uber Eats that initially went through this process. and. They employees across Uber across Uber to help the sign up process and audit and validate all the information. So they've been putting a lot of effort into generally getting restaurants on the platform, making sure it's easy to use and allowing other all, allowing employees to use their credits to support these new restaurants on the platform
1: that's really cool i mean from from the perspective of like this app user you don't realize you always see uber as this very tech heavy company and you don't realize that there's this whole operational cost that goes into it and it's very manual you have to onboard each restaurant you have to negotiate what the commission rate is going to be and also you need to fix their pricings because some restaurants they actually do a markup of their pricings and that's something that i'll go over Um, They actually make their prices higher on these platforms to sort of compensate for um, the commission, the high commission fees. Um, but generally, that practice is discouraged by like these food apps.
0: Right, but that also really tells you about the technology that Uber owns, like the configuration technology that we have for these restaurant owners to configure their menus and stuff. I, I was really impressed by that when I heard that about that from you. But um, yeah, uh, do you wanna?
1: What about you? How's your work? How's your week been?
0: My week. I mean, I m- my first call every morning is at nine a.m., so I wake up at eight fifty. I brush my teeth, I give the cat a meal, and then I jump on the call until sometimes ten, until sometimes ten thirty, until sometimes two o'clock. And then um we I just work um, sometimes we cook sometimes we order boba sometimes <laughs> we do Uber Eats sometimes it's chow bus it, it depends on what oh yeah
1: so you've been using a lot of chow bus how, yeah. how is that like what made you switch to chow
0: bus boba I <laughs> mean right, we we were just craving for boba and Uber Eats doesn't really have any boba options and we know a lot of boba places but Uber Eats just doesn't list them Uber Eats only lists a bunch of places that um, are high-end and when you order a boba at eight dollars you end up paying probably like 14 15 dollars with uber eats so sometimes most of the times i order with uber eats but sometimes it's just not worth it so then i went to chow i saw this vast list of options and i was just like this is like the obvious option for boba at least and yeah. for asian food so
1: have you used have you heard of chow I
0: haven't. Is it a regional thing? Yeah. Interesting. Or? So
1: it's a new new sort of app. I know it's very popular here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Do you know where it, it originated from?
0: No, no. I I, I didn't know. I think it's research. a New York
1: company. So it's um it's a small startup, it's also food delivery based, but basically it's targeted at ethnic food. So um and when you say ethnic, right now it's primarily for Asian food, but it does have like a few Indian spots and then it has like this Caribbean place. But it's like the best ethnic food that you can find, and it's handpicked by people who are actually Asian, like as in Korean. Korean people picking the best Korean restaurants. Yeah. So it's it's hard to get on the platform, but when you are, you are when, as a user, you know that these are the best places that they're actually um, very authentic. And it's also really low cost. They don't have much markup. Their delivery fee is two ninety nine, and uh, or service fee.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Their service fee is like two ninety nine, and um if you pay for the they have a membership model so you pay nine ninety nine per month and then um you don't have to pay any delivery fees which also makes you order way more yeah and the first month is free and they have like this really awesome reward service.
0: Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of um, features also, the best feature that I enjoy is you can order from different restaurants. Oh, yes. And then you can order boba. And then if a drive... if I think it's like for each restaurant, they choose a bunch of restaurants in the surrounding. Mm-hmm. So let's say I'm ordering from this one restaurant on Halstead, and on the way the driver will be driving by this other restaurant down the street anyway so I can order from both these restaurants. So I can combine the appetizer, the main course and the dessert from the same street in terms of restaurants and then all of these meals from all these different restaurants come from one driver and at the end of the day I'm only paying one delivery fee and one service fee. It's not combined or combining all these delivery and service fees together and waiting different times for different drivers to come by. Yeah. It's such a simple thing, but hey we thought that um we peaked in terms of uh delivery food delivery service it, it was
1: actually founded by two um uh, college students in new york
0: yeah i mean with like with gopuff and things like charbus there's always those niches that those companies discover and you're just like huh this could be a thing and yeah now i'm using all of them and yeah. it's crazy good crazy good it's a good time to be in the united states right now in terms of uh, how long how long, have they,
2: how long have they been around do you know
1: Um, I know that they've been around for at least two years I don't know when they were founded but it's newer than like um, the most recent ones like uber eats Mm -hmm. uber eats was 2014 what else Postmates was, like, actually one of the first ones in the modern era, Mm -hmm. 2011. Mm
0: -hmm. Grubhub?
1: Grubhub was old. Grubhub started in, like, 2004. And
0: it adapted itself into becoming a food delivery service company.
1: Yeah, so, actually, it's interesting. When we think of food delivery services, there's actually two types. One is an aggregator, and the other is a... Uh, a new delivery so the new delivery ones are like doordash um, postmates they supply their own drivers and they actually partners with partner with the restaurants Mm -hmm. whereas grubhub they were uh, basically bringing in customers they were really functioning as a advertisement Mm -hmm. uh, for these different restaurants and um the restaurants they would take care of their own like delivery so that's like targeting people or or companies like papa john's which already has its own fleet of drivers and Mm -hmm. cars um also like uh let's see i i i just remember papa john's off the top of my head Mm -hmm. but it's like really companies like those big big chains But ultimately, they had to adapt to the market and bring in their own drivers. Mm -hmm. I mean, initially, they had started as just like posting people, posting company or restaurants' menus. Mm -hmm. Did you know like Grubhub? They were started by literally like the founder walking around the streets of Chicago, grabbing menus, physical menus from restaurants. Yeah, yeah, it's a Chicago company back in 2004 and uh he grabbed like menus from restaurants and he'd like type it all out and he'd be calling from like uh, calling these restaurants and saying hey do you do deli- like i'm over here would you be delivering to me mm-hmm. how much would that be blah, blah 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 and that's how he would like make the mark the boundaries Damn. of like where they could deliver to
0: it's a real hustle
1: yeah they really put their blood sweat and tre- tears into it and you really see that now like they they know what their business is and they're actually profitable they're the only food com- fo- food delivery company that's profitable mm-hmm. they're they're really famous for the message that they sent last year in october they wrote this like 22 page um uh business uh, what do you call like your quarterly like report that you send earnings report oh, they, yeah. they basically quarterly sent report. a letter to their stockholders and they said food delivery is not going to be profitable where we are profitable is from like advertisement Uh, like outsourcing the logist handling the logistical aspects for the restaurant so their main business main money isn't even coming from the actual act of food delivery that's just bringing the restaurants in providing them some value damn but the actual business itself is not profitable but you see their service this might actually like hurt them in the long run i think because you see their business and you you actually use their app and it's very basic Grubhub's app is not the best. Mm -hmm. They're technologically very behind... Um, Because they haven't invested much on that aspect of it. They're so focused on the advertisement, the like extracting money from the restaurant side Mm -hmm. that they haven't put much investment into the food delivery aspect. And if they don't have that, then there's not like the total value that they bring in is very low and they're not going to retain their users. Another reason why they're actually saying that food delivery is not profitable is because... Um, There's just so many competitors and there's always someone with more cash to burn. So people or companies, I keep on referring to companies as people, but uh, startups with more, more cash to burn, they can offer rewards to entice customers. And customers right now, like you and I, we we're gonna go for whatever gives us the best price there's no brand loyalty
0: a hundred dollars in free deliveries by postmates it's gonna it literally took the shine out of everyone for like two years when all the youtubers were were promoting their promo codes or whatever Mm -hmm. that was crazy but yeah you're right Mm -hmm.
1: exactly and if uh, people are hopping from different different platforms these um uh, companies they need more more and more cash to actually improve their service because there's only so long a customer will go without like the quality being really high like if you keep on getting your food as soggy and wet you're going to stop using that that's going to leave a bad taste in both like the the platform that you're using mm-hmm. say if it was your first time yeah um that way the, then the reward has gone to waste mm-hmm. like the com- the company had invested in you yeah and uh you're never going to use that app again
0: Eshwarya, have you ever had a bad experience with food delivery?
1: I
2: personally haven't, but that'd also be because the number I am not the highest user of it. Mm-hmm. But I can speak to one of the things that Arushi just brought up regarding the cash infusion. Mm-hmm. Um it's something that we've heard a lot. So uh, primarily because right now so we've Uber Eats has been it's it's a huge part of Uber, but it's definitely as Arushi mentioned, not it's not, you know, getting us any profits right now. And also another thing that she brought up was that there's a lot of competition. So one of the things that Uber has done recently, actually, was to try to make like a strategic move that in any, in any region that we are not the first or second, uh, you know, largest player in that market, we will leave actually. Um, and this, this was a move done primarily because and because of this we, uh, Uber Eats left India uh, and it oh, was yes. just in in order to say that we should fight the battles where we think we are first or second. And other than that, you know, it's because it's uh, one of the main reasons they said that in Uber Eats India was that it's a completely different food delivery game. Uh, you, you asked about service, right? So, uh, that A lot of people would be fine just paying one person to go and pick up food right away for them, instead of having this one person who picks up from different places and tries to, you know, combine an order. At mm-hmm. that point, no one—that cost—is just not worth it for someone when they could ask find a local person to do it for them cheaper, right? Oh, so it's wow. a completely different market um, in terms of the amount of time people will really wait and the cost associated with that time and because we didn't really have that market picture determined properly um and some other local businesses i think i think zamacho if i'm not sure if i'm not i'm not 100 sure on this but is one of the largest players in india right now and they have a like a slightly different model where they will as soon as you ask Um, they dispatch like one person to go get it and actually place the order for you when they get to the restaurant and then bring it back so that you don't have like cold food or,
0: Oh, interesting.
2: uh, So on and so forth. So yeah. Um, it's just, it's more of a question of having more tailored solutions for the actual locale that you're in because of this competition and different preferences.
1: Right. Also, speaking of competition, the thing is, uh, the only another reason why people use different apps is because you can only find that restaurant over there. Mm-hmm. Like the reason why I've had to use DoorDash is because Noodles and Co. and Chipotle is on there exclusively. Right. So um, then I have to switch over. But the thing is, all these re- uh, all these um, food delivery services they realize that that's also where the money is. Like you got to sign these exclusive contracts. Mm-hmm. And they tried to, but then, like, uh, I think McDonald's had first signed with, um, uh, I think it was Uber Eats. Mm-hmm. Uh, mcdonald's had first signed with uber eats an exclusive contract then they negotiated out out of it because they realized also customers are just going on every app so they're limiting their own exposure by limiting themselves to one app mm-hmm. and it doesn't make sense for a business or a restaurant to stay on one com- or one food delivery services app mm-hmm. if it's gonna limit their own exposure right since that's what they're paying the commissions and all that markup for Mm -hmm. for that exposure so they want to maximize it as much as possible but for on the food delivery service end they're like oh no like that's that's one of the um upper hands that they have Mm -hmm. exclusivity so what you have is you have a whole lot of competition and you don't have much of a way in between them to set them apart. They're all offering the same things, rewards. Mm -hmm. They're all offering like the same restaurants. So why would you wanna switch
0: between them? It's very interesting. I think with uh, the isolation thing too, in terms of um, some, like in, in Virginia for example, my friend Matt, who goes to University of Virginia, he never experienced Uber Eats before he came to Chicago. So then when he downloaded the app, I remember we were doing the internship together and I had to run him through, like how the app worked and and that whole experience and that was very interesting to me because we're all in the United States but even like from state to state it differs in experience it's the
1: first movers but slowly that's actually shifting so the reason why in Virginia um, he's more familiar with Grubhub is because Grubhub had acquired Seamless Seamless ha- Seamless started in 1999 it's actually one of the first movers mm. and they were the first deliveries like food delivery service so they had started doing that before even Grubhub mm-hmm. But then they got acquired by Grubhub. And now, since they've merged, all of their seamless operations in the West East Coast, yeah, East Coast, is now under Grubhub. I so see. that's why they have a stronghold. But that's shifting because in the month of March, uh, Doordash used to have thirty nine percent of the market share, and they went up to 45 percent and the biggest loser in the market share was grubhub they used to have 30 percent of the food delivery market share and now they're down to 25 percent so they lost five percent they're not offering the same rewards they don't have the same cash to burn through because they're a public company and they're operating with the midwest finance like business model you don't pump in a ton of vc money you're using you're using the money that you know you can like generate back right. and that's also why they're profitable right now but in the long term that's going to kill them because uh, even though like VCs had spread out their money between DoorDash Postmates and all these other delivery services mm-hmm. if one wins like DoorDash if it captures most of the market share like right now it's at 45% then after everybody else like after the competition dies out DoorDash will make that money back because they're the only ones that are left as soon as competition is gone food delivery should be profitable
0: I should As soon as competition is gone? Yeah. Interesting. Because
1: if one company is doing really, one food delivery company is doing really, like right now it's an equal battle. Mm -hmm. You don't know who's going to make it to the top. It's leaning towards DoorDash, Mm -hmm. but you don't know who's going to make it to the top. So uh, people have a reason to invest in like all these different like food delivery startups. Mm -hmm. But as soon as one starts to like differentiate themselves, then it's over. Who's going to invest in the other, like in a new food delivery startup that needs to start at zero?
0: Again. I see. I see. Because
1: this is a like multiple decade effort,
0: right? Interesting. With
1: lots of cash print through. <laughs>
0: okay. Um, w- I want to switch things up and move to some of the advantages and drawbacks that those food delivery services have been bringing to um the COVID 19 situation. Um, let's let's start with advantages. Um, on your side, Eshwaria, um, have you noticed any advantages that you've seen at least Uber Eats provide to its customers to restaurants? Um, I mean, you've, you've stated a few before, but in general, have, in terms of um, from people behind the screens that are actually making the app and providing those services, is there any internal discussion as to how to more provide more help to those people?
2: Sure. Um, I can speak to one of the things I know we've been doing locally uh, specific to COVID is that Uh, Uber Eats made one of the first decisions to uh, cut commissions. So as of right now, um, I don't know the exact extent of the region, but at least in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, Uber is not charging commissions for small to medium-sized restaurants. And this was a move made, I think it was the first one to make this decision. A little later on, this city, uh, the mayor of San Francisco uh, issued a I don't know if it's an executive order or some sort of mayoral proposition it might not be the right term but I think it's executive order that that all restaurant delivery services had to cap their commissions at 15% and this raised a lot of back and forth because it primarily raised the question of who's gonna be feeling the burden of this. Are are the restaurants that current the restaurant the service providers who now at this moment generally charge around on the order of thirty percent commissions, are they now going to be not serving these restaurants that they can they no longer can get this markup from so essentially saying we're no longer going to be profitable on these restaurants because we can't do the 30 percent commission and thus not include these small medium-sized businesses is that the way this is going to be offloaded or are are they just going to take a loss because at some point everyone knows that the margins that these providers right food delivery services get is not very high um even with the commissions so it was a huge kind of argument of is it a play that each service provider has to decide by itself saying that this is what we are willing to put forth to be able to support the most restaurants given our current kind of you know economic structure of how we're where we're generating revenue or is it possible for you know the government to come in and say that we are mandating like a 15 percent cap and at what point is this just going to mean that our, a, a a service like uber will say okay um at a 15 percent commission these restaurants are we just can't support them anymore because we're not going to incur losses in order to continue to provide these benefits
1: so is the so, cap is is the cap just for this covid19 time or is it like permanent
2: no it's it's right now yeah it's definitely during this relief effort mm-hmm. um i don't know like it's i think it's it's not there's no like clear end date per se but
1: and the cap is for like as far all, as the implementation goes hmm? is a cap for like all restaurants in the san francisco area Sorry, I think it froze. Oh, I'm saying is a cap for all the um, businesses in the San Francisco area?
2: Yeah, so it's it's a cap for all, like DoorDash, uh, Grubhub, all all you know food deliveries. Oh, I, services I meant restaurants. Sorry, and charge more than fifty percent
1: commission. Okay. Sorry, I I meant to say all the restaurants in San Francisco, not differentiating between small or large businesses. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I think I no, no, I don't think it's for applies to chains. It's only for what classifies as a small to medium sized restaurant.
1: I think that's interesting. I I think but, that. Um, uh, like if the entire city is uh making that move, the advantage clearly lies on the city, right? Mm-hmm. Like the city has a bigger say because a food delivery service is not gonna drop all those different like restaurants, even if they're small or medium, because they're still bringing in business. Right, people are looking for those different restaurants. Mm-hmm. When I go on Uber Eats, I'm not looking for McDonald's.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, you, you, I, I mean, that's like a. If that's based on personal preference. That's mm-hmm. like probably just a you thing. You, you don't usually eat at McDonald's. But when either. you
1: look at the price of like McDonald's on Uber Eats or any other, like mainly Uber Eats, um, the markup is just so high. Mm-hmm. And when you know the cost of what McDonald's is actually worth, it doesn't make sense to have these like large chains that are um, also like really cheap, supposed mm-hmm. to be really cheap. Being paid for at a really like um high price just because you're ordering through this app.
0: Right. I'm not sure whether McDonald's is thing do- doing uh drive through and all of that. And especially as someone who cannot drive, it's like it's just a convenience at that point. The extra seven dollars on top of my eight dollar Big Mac. Mm-hmm. That's just like the price of convenience. And that's also like capping on how much I'm consuming a Big Mac myself. But that's just how I choose to go for McDonald's when I'm a little bit. But
1: used. actually, um. When you're looking at commission fees, it's a fixed percentage of each order. And if people are making small orders, like, they're just trying to feed themselves, because usually, like, the amount a person can eat is just so much, right? Like, it, if it's under a certain bar, they're still not going to be making much from commission.
0: You mean the company? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, would you, would you agree with that? I feel like it's you should become... And a- then,
1: ultimately, what that does is that you see this, like really immense markup on your individual order first of all you need to, you get fine like that small order fee mm-hmm. Uber Eats is actually the only one that does that like small order fee mm-hmm. um you have that then you have the service fee then you have taxes taxes actually vary across different platforms for the same region
0: oh interesting yeah
1: so i actually have a chart over here somebody ordered su- two subway sandwiches six inch and the sales tax for that like on Grubhub was $1.20. And then on DoorDash, it was $1.29. And on Postmates, it was $1.33. So it's varying across different platforms. But ultimately, what I'm saying is, if you're having a 91% markup on a small order, like double the cost, how much are are consumers willing to go and pay the price of convenience for this to be sane in the long run? Because you also see... Meal kits coming in too. Mm -hmm. So, if you really want convenience, going to your fridge is going to be easier.
0: Right, as we saw this week, um, but I just want to know on your side, what's the discussion based on that in terms of how we hike up the the convenience fees and the service fees and all the tax prices at, from Uber Eats' perspective, just because for, for our side, from our perspective, it doesn't make any sense, even though as consumers, we are still using those services. But from people that work there, what's like the logic behind going through those decisions? Sparsely, but we use it sparsely. I used to use it a lot before so Mm. yeah
2: so i i mean i i don't have that much insight into how how uber eats has decided to do its commission like breakup um and you know the pricing structure that i think it's something that's also still largely being determined slash figured out um with various promotions i know the one thing though um that you mentioned is a lot of times companies like Ubergeats are largely trying to do growth first. It's only been a recent push where we're trying to make sure that everything is margin. So if you, if you've ever seen a situation where initially we take like a lot of put in promotions, have low service fees, that doesn't necessarily mean that's sustainable for the business and mm-hmm. whenever it hikes up. That's, that's usually a few years later on where the company now has to start making profits. So
1: but then, I think,
2: as I said, so pretty the, much I can't I can't speak exactly to how the pricing structure is done, only to say that a lot of times it's it's still being figured out and it's not profitable even when it seems reasonable to consumers.
1: But the issue yeah. is, even with these high markups, it's still not profitable. And then you have, like, Grubhub, which is profitable. It charges a service fee of $1.29 for this uh, order that, like, primarily costs, like, $11.90. Oh, yeah. Also, the prices are different on each platform. So Grubhub, the price of two turkey uh, sandwiches that are six inches is $11.98, whereas, like, on DoorDash, Postmates, and Uber Eats, it's $14.78. So there's already that fluctuation on the item's price. But then when you look at service fees, Grubhub, which is profitable, has a service fee of $1.29 whereas Uber Eats has a, a service fee of $2.22 and Postmates being the highest having $2.42. So I think these high service fees they're not sustainable. You also see that with DoorDash also gaining like a lot a lot of the market share because their service fee is relatively low. It's at $1.20 for this order. So you you have uh, you have double the service fee for Postmates and Uber Eats compared to like Grubhub and DoorDash. And
0: when was this taken? This data?
1: This was... Um, if you have it. This was either... This was 2019.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I'm i honest.
2: Yeah, I think the one one thing I can add to this Sorry,
0: go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, Oh, Definitely,
1: pop in.
2: (laughs) Yeah, the one thing I can add to this is that uh, I know, like, as far as rides go, that we recently also made a shift on the pricing structure where initially this was from the city's move to AB5, where it says that contractors now have to be able to determine their own prices and, you know, so that they're not employees. And because of that, Uber used to do a system where they would tell you your price beforehand, right? So Mm. I could say that I want... As a driver, as a, sorry, as a rider, if I just put in from here to San Francisco, um, they would tell me before I even selected the drive, that it would be, let's say $40, right?
1: Interesting.
2: But now Uber, Uber moved to giving it a range. That's so like, it'll be from between 38 to $45 per se. And the main reason they, they did this is that now this allows for them to compute based off the actual number of miles and time that the driver ended up driving, uh, and then charge you based on that. So this was, it's more of a, it's a cost structure, pricing structure that's based, it's like a rate per mile or hour, you know, dollars per hour. I think one of the two combination of that of the time and the miles driven, so that it's a direct proportion for the driver to say that if I put in this much, uh, this many hours drive this many miles, this is about how much I should be making. Whereas before it was more of a black box saying that this this ride should take generally this mon- this amount of time. But let's say there's a lot of traffic. Now the driver isn't fairly compensated. Right. Hmm. So. Uh, I, think, I think a lot of these small differences in, you know, markup revenue commission is largely just based on, like, how, how they're charging per unit um, and, you know, computing this price it's not necessarily uh, that like one company's across the board putting a higher mic markup on everything it's just it's, in this example yeah it's par- partially
1: due to is- uber's algorithm of like having surge pricing which actually makes their um uh, service fee fluctuate so sometimes you can get like a crazy high service fee or like sometimes you get a lower service fee but generally it's high across the board interesting. that's interesting to know so we're going to be paying more for rides now
0: (laughs) well i hope uber keeps bouncing those rewards towards me (laughs) i i I have no clue why i've been getting rewards before the coronavirus thing happened i've been getting rides for like two dollars or three dollars and it was just the time of my life to just travel cheaply until the Corona thing happened <laughs> and now it's like zero Uber, no Uber travel. But then
1: when you think about it, like, drivers are making nothing. If-
0: my I have a question about that, so unrelated to um fast food delivery. When Uber offers discounts on rides and stuff, do they offer the, let's say I get a 50% discount on the ride, does Uber pay for the other 50% when I'm paying for my 50% of it to the driver? Do you know about that?
2: Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, they have to any any uh, promotion that we do is not felt on the compensation to the driver
0: okay yeah cuz it's you,
2: it's all it's all like distribution of you know money on rn i okay. see
0: yeah cuz i was very worried about that for for a quick minute but <laughs> That, that's, that's good to hear. Um, I just want to shift to towards kind of the end of a podcast. Um, uh, in terms of innovation in the food delivery services, uh, I just want to know, um, what's your prediction on how this industry can be innovative or can can be brought to into this other sphere? I know usually successful businesses usually, when I've seen them, it's like they're trying to solve a problem. So before you see the problem, you can't really predict what the next problem is gonna be for these food delivery services to tackle. But I just want to know, like from your perspective, what's your gauge on where uh, food delivery service companies are going? Oh wow, that's a big question.
1: Um... (laughs) Think of a company idea right now. (laughs) Huh? I said think of a company. Where are they going? that is where do you think that where's like one aspect of profitability or one thing that you want to see in a food delivery service that they don't really have right now
2: i see interesting i think it's at least as far as uber eats is concerned it it's i think they're trying to better solve the whole question of how you get your food like not just per se as restaurants but also looking into groceries and looking into also the idea of um, restaurants that want to brand differently than the entire restaurant. So it's, it's just a trying to figure out different models that will work the best. So with the last one, it's, if let's say a a restaurant has this one dish that they want to advertise or brand by itself, and no longer they can create like a new kind of, not platform, but a standalone entity to market those products and brand them differently from the entire restaurant. Let's say your Applebee's or something, and there's this one dish that can stand alone and brand on its own. Um, I know Uber Eats has been looking into being able to allow restaurants to do that. And it's just, it's just like different and also a lot of things with groceries, how to best make sure that people get any any food delivery, whether it's from a restaurant, whether it's a specific kind of food product, you know, like a dish, like not specifically tried, tied to the restaurant's brand. And with groceries, I think it's mostly just, you know, your food consum- consumption habits and who can kind of get that whole picture tailored the best for the consumers, kind of my take on it. As I said, it's very different even from region to region. What What are consumer habits in one place would be very different in, let's say, you know, a different country. Mm-hmm. And for all of these com- com- competitors that are trying to gain share, not just in like the bay area but also in chicago where people might do something else in india where they're just used to different norms i'm not sure like i I've, we've definitely seen the drawbacks of companies that just try to use the same model in different areas and it doesn't really work out mm-hmm. but at the same time you do need to grow because otherwise there isn't the opportunity to get you know revenue just from tackling these new markets
1: right i think so, there's I, one my like... two
2: cents but it's a very big
1: question. One really interesting point that you said earlier, like getting into the grocery business, my worry is that when these tech companies they use their like tech power to like over personalize and focus on like this one aspect of the business when the other aspect of that business is so primitive. Like when you look at groceries, it's a very manual task. You go, you pick up like the actual thing mm-hmm. instead of like having just warehouses that you pull from. That's also where I think like GoPuff is really interesting because they have their own like warehouses and they have a real opportunity to automate that process. On
0: drivers too. Yeah. I was, I was very impressed with GoPuff even though the app isn't the best but in terms of their business model I don't, I'm don't i not sure if it's sustainable but if, as a customer I'm very satisfied with the service. But in terms of what you were saying where um, restaurants uh, where Uber Eats is trying to uh, make some of those dishes be like Something that is not related to the branding of um, the house, for example. Isn't that kind of like the concept of uh, ghosts? Uh, Was it? Called? Ghost kitchens. Ghost kitchens. Uh,
1: that's a little bit different mm-hmm. because you still have the branding of the let's whole d- restaurant. Let's,
0: let's define ghost kitchen oh, yeah. first.
1: So a ghost kitchen is a restaurant without the actual seating of a restaurant. So it's this giant facility. You can think of it as a co working space for restaurants. And they can go in and they can make their dishes and they work in conjunction conjunction with these third party delivery services and have their food delivered out without having the huge cost of maintaining the restaurant. Unfortunately, you'll see a decline in the actual dine-in experience because there's no the real like problem in the restaurant business is the whole part where you're renting this $18,000 per month facility to that'll be occupied for only a certain percent of the dates, heavily underutilized, and you're paying for that cost constantly, when you can just take the food part of the business and people mm. can just order from an app.
0: Would you say whole in the wall businesses, whole in the wall restaurants are kind of like uh, ghost kitchens? Oh, not Mm, really.
1: Not really, because you still have that like face-to-face interaction with customers, but they could easily transform into a ghost kitchen. Right. You'll see a loss in jobs Mm -hmm. with that because then you just need a chef and someone to package it. But um, that's definitely what the market is shifting towards: having these ghost ghost kitchens. And actually, Travis Kalanick, the former CEO of and founder of Uber, is has founded a company called Cloud Kitchens. Has
0: he founded it or is he funding it?
1: Funding? Oh, I didn't know he was funding I thought uh, he started, no, 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 he started a new. Wait, do you know our Uber source?
2: <laughs> um, Travis Kalanick has completely removed himself from Uber. Um, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure the progress. I've heard about this too. And I don't know if this is encroaching on Uber Eats or, yeah, I'm not, I'm not I am not speak to the, you know, how involved or not involved.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I know Kalanick definitely has left Uber, sport oh, and yeah. everything
0: but he's, he's like, no longer involved
1: I, I think he founded this company and he got funding from
0: saudi arabia yeah
1: yeah, yeah. I've, I've, heard that. I've heard
0: that um what, what's this shady investment yeah. why from saudi arabia who was um, who's who's, who's he's sort uh, of
1: banned from like the silicon States. valley right now <laughs> wouldn't you say like he's so infamous would any vc in like the valley? valley yeah would any vc in the valley invest in him right now would that ever be a good look
2: i am not sure i
0: i I can't tell you well honestly i don't know i
1: mean he has to go like wherever i mean saudi arabia is super rich right they're they're ready to fund things you also saw that with softbank softbank is very ready to fund things until now
0: (laughs) yeah i'm just curious as to because he has okay he doesn't have a good record in leading a company but he has a good record in starting a company like that's the whole entrepreneurial spirit right being the executive at a company, that's a different thing from starting a, a company and getting it to a successful level. But talking about the founder of Uber is like a conversation for another day. But I'm, I I do think it's very interesting that he is peaking Sh- his I note. I do think it's very interesting that he's like peaking into ghost kitchens. Do you think
1: he's trying to make a Steve Jobs move? Exactly. That's, <laughs> it, that's what I was about. I was,
0: I was coming to that point just because from Aishwarya's point, uh, Uber is trying to find this... In between Between kitchens And ghost kitchens Where they're trying to have Restaurants Have serve this One this, dish This one dish That's disconnected From the restaurant And its brand And him On the other end is like No this is like A ghost kitchen It's like You know how When you go to Certain supermarkets There are those Containers that Have no brands And no labels on them It's mm-hmm. like those restaurants With no labels No brands It's like You're just buying
1: But that's not what A ghost kitchen is mm-hmm. Like those are actual Like businesses those Mm -hmm. are actual like restaurants it's
0: it's still gonna be they have their
1: own packaging they have their Uh, own branding they just don't have in-store seating and they might have a ghost kitchen and in another restaurant Mm -hmm. like in london this is really popular where they have uh, a restaurant and then they have like a delivery like radius that they can deliver to then they'll go in another popular area start a ghost kitchen over there or like in an existing like facility They'll, they'll expand. They'll basically double the size of their delivery radius mm-hmm. by operating in this other area. Right. But that also has its own challenges mm-hmm. because the consumer doesn't really know like where their food's coming from. They don't know whether it's coming from the restaurant itself, like the physical facility or the ghost kitchen. And then when their order goes wrong, they contact the the restaurant and then the restaurant owner has to tell them, Hey, like this wasn't made here. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what went wrong right. or you're, I can't trace your order. Mm-hmm. And that's where big problems come in right, right now. Well, but it's an interesting area.
0: Yeah, it's still something for the future.
1: I, I want to add one area of like innovation that I see is you see people becoming a lot more health conscious right now. And ordering out, you always get really oily food. And um, there's only so long when we'll go while well, we're. Well, actually, going back, um, the whole food industry is known to be like sort of unprofitable for like people's eating needs. So, like, people can only eat so much. They have a limited capacity for even dining out as well mm-hmm. and actually physically eating. That's why groceries, there's such thin margins. Um, that's also why, like, Uh, The portion size has gone up more. Mm -hmm. Our capacity for eating like that's been like advertised to us has increased. We eat a lot more than we should, Mm -hmm. like in most places. Um, And that's how the food food industry remains like sort of stable. Mm -hmm. So what you see is that people like at some point there's going to be a reckoning in your health. And if you continue to have restaurants that if all the restaurants that are on your page, if there's no way to differentiate between what is um, what's healthy and what's not, Mm -hmm. people will start leaving the platform. Mm -hmm. So I think a real area of uh, innovation is adopting like different diets. Like, say, if you are on a keto diet, then like they'll show you restaurants that are keto. But that because this whole like. Um, food delivery game is so complex because there's so many different parties it depends on which restaurants are springing up so I see like having uh, these ghost kitchens there's more like uh, healthy foods that can be opened Mm -hmm. up that don't have to have the uptick cost of actually operating a physical business In like these pricey areas, which will actually go and consume these foods. They can operate at a lower cost, pay lower rent, um, and then also be differentiated on this platform Mm -hmm. where people can go and they're like, yeah, I know my health won't suffer if I eat from here.
0: Do you think that, um, you know how... That's really
2: interesting.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I was going to put the Arushi trademark logo onto that, <laughs> uh, onto that diet idea just because... But my, my concern with diets is that di- diets are kind of like fashion now. It's kind of like trends going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Like the carnivore diet, for example. You keep...
1: can have different diets on there.
0: Right, yeah. Uh, but that's a really interesting idea. I would love to see an app but that would...
1: Even just basic nutritional information. Mm-hmm. When you look at your app, you don't see any nutritional information.
0: The cat sat on the you don't I think you at least on chow bus? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I think you do now because okay. restaurants have to provide these. I think that's like that's, that's important for the customer to know how much, uh, how, mi- how many calories you're getting from a Big Mac burger, mm-hmm. but, but
1: more than just calories, like the trans fat, like breaking it if you can break it down specifically, yeah. I feel like that's that would be like so great for the end consumer to mm-hmm. really know what's going into their food. I know that's insanely difficult because this is not a standardized process right. every time you're <laughs> making a meal, it's a bit different, but so is the calories too
0: <coughs> bless you excuse me but <laughs> not coronavirus <laughs> But anyway, it's close to an uh, hour mark. Uh, Ashwarya's screen has been frozen, but I hope we can still hear you.
2: Yes, I can still hear you.
0: Cool. Okay. (laughs) I just want to wrap this podcast up. I just want to thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. uh, And for taking the time.
2: Yeah, thank
0: you. It's been a fun time. Awesome. I'll I'll wrap this up and we can keep talking offline right now. Uh, This was episode two of the Social Distancing Podcast. Uh, I'm Rushi. uh, I'm Sid. (laughs)
1: You're a (laughs) Rushi? I'm Sid.
0: (laughs) And we'll see you next week.